Welcome to Why Is This Good, a podcast by the Naples Writers Workshop. I'm Christine and I'm here with John. Hey, John. Hello. Okay, it's your turn. Tell us about your story. I picked a story, Spring and Fialta by Vladimir Nabokov. I actually, I pulled a Christine for this one. I uh, found the story and I was like, it's Nabokov. It's supposedly one of his two best stories. I'm not going <laughs> to read gonna it read before it. I send it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's going to take a little it. stab in the dark. <laughs> Okay, so you hadn't read it before, but... No. Okay, cool. And you have a section that you want to read? Yes, I do. An orchestra of women was playing when we entered the cafe. First, I noted the ostrich thigh of a harp reflected in one of the mirror-faced pillars, and then I saw the composite table, small ones drawn together to form a long one, at which, with his back to the plush wall, Ferdinand was presiding, and for a moment his whole attitude, the position of his parted hands and the faces of his table companions all turned toward him, reminded me in a grotesque, nightmarish way of something I did not quite grasp, but when I did so in retrospect, the suggested comparison struck me as hardly less sacrilegious than the nature of his art itself. He wore a white turtleneck sweater under a tweed coat, his glossy hair was combed back from the temples, and above it, cigarette smoke hung like a halo. His bony, feral-like face was motionless. The eyes alone roved this way and that, full of dim satisfaction. Having forsaken the two or three obvious haunts where naive amateurs of Montparnassian life would have expected to find him, he had started patronizing this perfectly bourgeois establishment because of his peculiar sense of humor, which made him derive ghoulish fun from the pitiful speciality de la maison, this orchestra composed of half a dozen weary-looking, self-conscious ladies in interlacing mild harmonies on a crammed platform and not knowing, as he put it, what to do with their motherly bosoms, quite superfluous in the world of music. After each number, he would be convulsed by a fit of epileptic applause, which the ladies had stopped acknowledging and which was already arousing, I thought, certain doubts in the minds of the proprietor of the cafe and its fundamental customers, but which seemed highly diverting to Ferdinand's friends. Among these, I recall an artist with an impeccably bald, though slightly chipped head, which under various pretexts he constantly painted into his eye and guitar canvases. A poet whose special gag was the ability to represent, if you asked him, Adam's fall by means of five matches. A humble businessman who financed surrealist ventures and paid for the aperitifs, if permitted to print in a corner, eulogistic allusions to the actress he kept. A pianist, presentable insofar as the face of was concerned, but with a dreadful expression of the fingers, a jaunty but linguistically impotent Soviet writer fresh from Moscow, with an old pipe and a new wristwatch, who was completely and ridiculously unaware of the sort of company he was in. There were several other gentlemen present who have become confused in my memory, and doubtless two or three of the lot had been intimate with Nina. She was the only woman at the table. There she stooped, eagerly sucking at a straw, the level of her lemonade sinking with a kind of childish celerity and only when the last drop had gurgled and squeaked and she had pushed away the straw with her tongue, only then did I finally catch her eye, which I had been obstinately seeking, still not being able to cope with the fact that she had had time to forget what had occurred earlier in the morning, to forget it so thoroughly that upon meeting my glance she replied with a blank, questioning smile, and only after peering more closely did she remember suddenly what kind of answering the smile I was expecting. Meanwhile, Ferdinand, 
the ladies having temporarily left the platform after pushing away their instruments like so many pieces of furniture, was juicily drawing his crony's attention to the figure of an elderly luncher in a far corner of the cafe who had, as some Frenchmen for some reason or other have, a little red ribbon or something on his coat lapel, and whose gray beard combined with his mustaches to form a cozy yellowish nest for his sloppily munching mouth. Somehow, the trappings of old age always amused Ferdy. What did you like about this story? I mean, the main thing that I like about this story is the Nabokov writing. I just, you know, just fall into that stuff. Just amazing eye for detail and ability to express it in really fascinating language. And obviously, I also like just the, the way it was structured as far as like this meeting and then all the memories that kind of swirl around their friendship, you know, culminating with the ending and this kind of like journey through his memories and his feelings and their kind of dynamics and the dynamics of all the people. It's just a really well-crafted story. Yeah, I thought it was interesting how pretty early on he tells you that he's recalling all of this after her death. Yeah. So he hints at that. And reading it the way I did, I'm circling it thinking, okay, he's already given it away. But by the end, you've already forgotten that that's where it's kind of leading to. You're kind of wrapped up in where their story lands as two people yeah, with each other. And then it he kind of reminds you like really close to the end. He's like, yeah, but by the way, like I told you she dies. So now yeah. this happens. It was like a little preview yeah. of what's going to happen. And- yeah, but it was still jarring because like you said, the language and the storytelling is the type that you just fall into and you kind of forget maybe what the point is or where you're moving toward because the language itself is good. And because all the details he's capturing in the moment are just like pleasurable to read. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things about Nabokov is just his ability to capture moments. I wouldn't even call him a snapshot. It's like it can be in motion. It can be, you know, like the kid with the oranges. It's this whole scene, but he captures it in such a vivid way with words you would never think of using. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I underlined some of it because I would have edited it. (laughs) A a pantsless infant of the male sex. It's like a pantsless infant of the male sex. I was like, just say a pantsless boy. (laughs) This is an interesting thing because he translated this. He wrote it in Russian and then he translated it into English. Okay. So I don't know at what point. um, I think it was an early story and I don't know how well he knew English at this point. I think he probably knew it pretty well. But um, how much of what is in here is preserved like Russianisms, if you will. You know, like he's trying to preserve that original feeling or the phrasing from the original, but but making it in English. Right. So a thing like that might be the result. Holdover from the that, transit, yeah. yeah, yeah. It might not be too. He just might have decided, "Hey, I'm going to do it this one way." <laughs> right. But to your point, that is a very vivid scene where you see this little kid like trying to juggle these oranges, and his sister, who's just a couple years older, just like swoops in and grabs them all from him. Yeah. And it's completely pointless, but it's. <laughs> it lets you see everything. Yeah. It's like scene setting, right? Like the whole mm-hmm. first paragraph of the story is just like, this is what the um, spring in Fialta is like. And then you don't even have a narrator until the second paragraph. So it's just yeah. these little like moments that kind of like seem like standing to the side, but it's creating an atmosphere. And then later in the story, there's little details that are kind of tossed in here and there. And then the narrator comes back and says, hey, when I noticed this and when I noticed this and when I noticed that, I didn't realize what was happening around me. The sun was coming out, you know? Mm-hmm. So those details. Details sometimes feel extraneous, but you're you're in them. You know, it's like engrossing you as a reader, but it's also building something larger. Right. The section I read had that um, where he's like, it reminded me of something that I didn't realize until later. 
And he never spells out what it reminded him of, but it puts you in the mind of, well, what should it remind you of? And then all the details are like, oh yeah, I can see it too. I felt like by the end, like like you were saying that what you like about this writer is how he captures things in like the language itself. And like you said, the eye for detail. I kind of felt like by the end, this was a really, really good character sketch of Nina because the two characters didn't really, it was, it felt like this was a story all in the narrator's head and I did not like the narrator and he reminded me of the guy from Chekhov's Little Dog. Really? Who's, yeah, who is like obsessed with another woman but married and his whole affect is pining after this lady (laughs) and like, what does it mean? Oh, I keep running into her. Oh, it's so romantic. But she's with someone and I'm with someone and I want to like grab this guy and shake him and say what it means is nothing what it means is you're very bored and you've made a lot of it in your head but what was really well accomplished I feel like because I don't have any pity for the guy I guess is my point you know he's like he's written this whole story about like how he's trying to make sense of the fact that the universe is bringing him together with this woman repeatedly but he can't do anything about it and his one attempt to tell her that he loves her is like rebuffed and like he's kind of embarrassed and then she dies I was like this is a story about a guy that like wonders what it would have been like to fuck this girl nina okay we all have a story like that but it's written by what a guy that happens to be a wonderful writer and so it takes on this like air of like importance that i just don't think it deserves i did not like this narrator is my point but i will say that that is the type of story that i'm interested in in terms of like the pining right and that's what literature i think does really well is like making a story out of what might have been and getting really deep into like a character's like point of view and dreams and desires, which you could argue in this story, this narrator has never made fully clear to Nina. So Nina is like being written about and might have no clue that this guy feels anything about her. They talk about like having shared one kiss, but I don't know that when she's waving at him across the street that she's acting any sort of way when she says like, oh, it's you again, you know? He kind of writes this story saying that like Nina's acting this way and it's so interesting because sometimes she notices me before I notice her and other times she doesn't notice me and then other times I see her getting on the train and leaving me and acting like nothing's like nothing just took place and I just feel like she has no clue what's going on inside of him and that's where like fiction can come in and like make something of it you know I I understand what you're saying I think um you can read it that way I read it differently though I read his their situation as this not necessarily as a pining but as a uh, we've had this weird relationship and I don't know what it is and this is my way after she's died of trying to figure it out I I think you know he specifically says I was happily married and everything was fine with that and we never did anything but we were always such like felt so close when we were together and things always felt very like like a special friendship between us that we could always pick up no matter what happened and now she's gone forever and I'm not going to ever get that. I feel like that's like my interpretation of what you're saying is like literature is there's a fiction writing, story writing is the kind of thing that can capture those like inexpressible things, those things that don't have names. Right. You know, you write the story that kind of it captures a mood and a feeling, emotions that you can't just pin down to, oh, this is what he was feeling in one in one sentence or one word because it's complicated. It's bigger than, than a sentence or a word and it, it's changing changing and moving and Anyway, that's that's the way I read it. Is more there wasn't like a uh, specifically romantic interest in the way I read it. It was more of a kind of like a, a friendship that was strange, was different. Like you felt just a, a platonic friendship there, but right. 
My only argument against that is because had this man not been married, he would not have any problem articulating to we readers what he thought about Nina. But Nina's one of these characters, and that's why I enjoyed this as a portrait of her, that just begs to be written about. She's one of these people that everybody around her likes. There's that scene where someone at a party is like introducing the narrator. She's like, I need you to meet Nina. And he's like, of course, you know, that's who Nina is. And then like, even at, at the beginning and at the end, she's doing like the 10 finger wave. She's a magnetic character, you know? Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. He feels that draw to her like everyone else, but he's trying to make more sense of his own draw to her than her boyfriend. I'm not convinced that the love he's trying to express is like that same kind of love. Sure. That's one of the problems with English is there's not enough words. You know, like in Spanish, you can express love in a couple of different ways. Yeah. I mean, like I'm getting into semantics here about like these characters and their morals. And when we talk about whether or not a character needs to be likable, they don't need to be likable for me to enjoy the story. But I also kind of read it and I was like, I was literally circling stuff. And I was like, you sound like so desperate. He sounds like he's trying to make sense of things that he, he was romanticizing what felt to me like something only happening for him internally not happening between them not happening because of nina but happening in his head and the spaces in between their meetings and there's a lot to be said for that for why fiction is great for illuminating that because i think that's what it's great at is to examine those internal thoughts that you don't share otherwise and that's why i love stories that are not super plot heavy and i would argue this one is not it's about a series of like these two characters almost passing each other in the streets repeatedly over years and what he tries to make of it all. You mentioned like she is the kind of person to whom this probably like people, a lot of people are drawn to her. And mm-hmm. I was, there's a couple of moments in here when she's like, I, I was wondering, does she have face blindness or something? Like she doesn't recognize yeah, right. people. Yeah. She's Brad Pitt. Yeah. <laughs> she's, She's beautiful and doesn't know who she's talking to. Which I think that's got to be related. There's got to be a higher occurrence of face blindness the hotter you are. But I love the way that this, you mentioned the scene in the, when she goes into the train, like uh, she says goodbye to everybody and she gets on the train. And then I saw her through the glass, settling herself in her compartment, having suddenly forgotten about us or passed into another world. And we all, yeah. our hands in our pockets, seem to be spying upon an utterly unsuspecting life moving in that aquarium dimness until she grew aware of us and drummed on the window pane and then she struggles to open the window and waves at them there's a great description of that you know the aquarium dimness like using the word aquarium there because you're watching her as if she's in an aquarium and then just like comparing it to being in another world like she's Mm -hmm. she has no concept that these people are outside and she's just there it's like she doesn't use the word voyeur but you feel like a voyeur looking in on her right right so well described but it's capturing exactly what you're talking about where she just like if she's not in that moment face to face with somebody and just being that exuberant magnetic person that she is naturally she's totally ordinary right yeah totally ordinary and also i think the other part of that is it's true that she has her own internal world that this story doesn't touch on so it's it's missing her whole life like he says her life ends up speeding along on this train and out of theirs and she does have her own (laughs) thoughts about the narrator that we do or don't ever get to like hint at you know and her own motivations and my guess would be that she thinks a lot less frequently of him than she does that than he does of her because i think when you have a magnetic person like this there's a tendency for everyone around them to feel like they want to be more important to that person than they are 
I love the way he describes things just in general. When I first started reading, I don't think I had read anything by him, but I encountered a uh, just a description of his style of writing. And then the quote that was used was about gnats darning the air. Like that was the, the example for the kind of writer he was. Like it was something like when Nabokov describes gnats darning the air and that line always stood to stood out to me. So I was so delighted to encounter it in this story. I was like, this is, is this the story? Is this where it yeah. came from? It's uh, a small swarm of gnats was busy darning the air above a mimosa. And I was like, I <laughs> I found it. I found it in the wild. Like I said, before I even read him, that was the example of his style of writing, his prose, his like eye for detail, his capacity to describe things in ways that, you know, are unique and vivid. And it's uh, the gnats 15 minutes of fame. <laughs> I'm sure they love it, too. That's right. But like, how do you describe that? Like little gnats just like spinning in in little circles in the air. You know, they don't seem to be moving. They're just kind of like right. doing something up there. What a great description for that. I had a thought for a story that I will never write. So I'll just send this out into the world. But I would love to read this story from Nina's perspective. Like, yeah. what would Nina think of this guy or her own life or her own husband or the fact that she dies early? Because she just seems like like that. she's my favorite part of the story. It's just her as a character. I think we all have a friend like Nina. I think who that's you, the point. You right? want to be closer <laughs> to. Yeah. It's just like she's like the best part. And he's just like, oh, man, I really like her. I don't know how I like her, but I just want to be around her. That's why I think the narrator is supposed to stand in for us, for everybody. Like, this sure. is the effect she has on people. She's also becomes very fast friends with his wife, right? She has yeah. that effect on women, too. She's popular. So it's not, not always romantic. But, you know, his verge is on the romantic, obviously. And we can interpret what's happening in slightly different how much it verges on the romantic. It's also really well put together as far as the structure goes, too, I think. You know, he meets her in Fialta, and that's the last time he'll ever see her. But then he manages to put in the story of their whole, of every meeting they've ever had. You know, there's a whole right. paragraph of, uh, I still wonder what exactly she meant to me, that small, dark woman of the narrow shoulders and lyrical limbs, to quote the expression of a mincing emigre poet, one of the few men who had sighed platonically after her. And still less do I understand what was the purpose of fate in bringing us constantly together. I did not see her for quite a long time after my my sojourn in Paris. And then one day when I came home from my office, I found her having tea with my wife and examining on her silk hosed hand with her wedding ring gleaming through the texture of some stockings bought cheap in Cowenzinstrasse. Once I was shown her photograph in a fashion magazine full of autumn leaves and gloves and windswept golf links. On a certain Christmas, she sent me a picture postcard with snow and stars. On a Riviera beach, she almost escaped my notice behind her dark glasses and terracotta tan. Another day, having dropped in on an ill-timed errand at the house of some strangers where a party was in progress i saw her scarf and fur coat among alien scarecrows on a coat rack etc etc he goes like through this list of all these times that they kind of encountered one another and it continues more in the next paragraph even right and there's this just speaking to like the way he writes again this is one of these sentences i underlined i marked is occasionally in the middle of a conversation her name would be mentioned, and she would run down the steps of a chance sentence without turning her head. It's evocative of both a scene and like the literal description of just catching her name in a sentence a lot in a party atmosphere, you know? Right. But so for the structure, 
almost like a stream of consciousness kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's like following his thoughts, like his memories, but it's more, it's not literally his thoughts because he actually talks about how he's writing this down. He's trying right. to get it down on, on paper, but he's, uh, it's following a chain of thoughts in some right. in a certain way to, to describe the moments that he met, that they met one another in a kind of memory shaped way, all within telling the story of their last meeting before she died. Right. Yeah, like I said, I I think this format of a story, given that Nina has died and that it seems like that's why he's maybe written it is the kind of stuff I'm like very much into because I love uh, like nostalgia and I love like literary fiction where it's not a whole lot of plot, even though he's listing all of these scenes that could very well be full scenes in a plot towards some ending. But like, like we've said, this, this is a story about him trying to make sense of something that never came to fruition, whatever it would have been. He just, he felt like there was more to all of these encounters than there ended up being. They didn't culminate the way he might have expected expected or like kind of assumed he keeps calling it fate you know like we were fated to run into each other type thing but it's like yeah and she was also fated to die really young so so what do you make of all of these chance encounters you know what i mean coincidence yeah he's like trying to read it one way and then by the end they didn't amount to anything and any story like that whether it's a story about someone you do or don't have this full-blown relationship with is great for fiction you know you're not going to see it in a movie because it would just be a sad sack narrator sitting in their bedroom thinking about shit or in his case like at a cafe watching a little naked kid play with oranges you know (laughs) doesn't really make for a blockbuster hit but it's perfect for what fiction can do yeah, that's a good point. This is very much a fiction. Like this is a story that captures what stories do really well. You read a lot some contemporary stories and and various things, and it's like uh, somebody's trying to capture what the movie would look like. You know, right? I talk about his his writing, and it's not always visual. It's not always like the scene with the oranges is very vivid in a kind of visual way. But there are other things that aren't quite they aren't visual, right? Like, and I think this is where the uh, the written fiction nature of it. Kind of shines through is uh there's like this one i marked was um brightly she signaled to me with her flowers i introduced her to elena and in that this is the part in that life quickening atmosphere of a big railway station where everything is something trembling on the brink of something else thus to be clutched and cherished the exchange of a few words was enough to enable two totally dissimilar women to start calling each other by their pet names the very next time they met that life quickening atmosphere of a big railway station where everything is something trembling on the brink of something else has almost there's like nothing visual about that but it ca- it's it's very abstract yeah you know, it, it even uses the word something on something else like there, right. what are you supposed to attach to that and yet and yet i think it captures like such a vivid idea it's capturing like the energy of that like you can place yourself in a in an actual location because you know what it's like to feel that way at an airport yeah. or anywhere yeah He's capturing that that feeling. So it's not vividly visual, but it's vividly emotional. Yeah. It's a vivid mood. Yeah. It's like, here's this busy hustle bustle place. And these two women can build this like very brief rapport. But like he said, there's something about it having taken place there that the next time they see each other, it's like, they feel like they go way back. It's uh, like trauma bonding, you know? It's like why yeah. they send people on the bachelor skydiving together. And then the next scene, they're in love. He kind of mentions that that's the first time they met was kind of this chance thing 
playing and they were like, I don't know, playing a game. It was a little confusing. I don't know why he wound up kissing her. Like, and she accepted the kiss. It was, it felt like he was fumbling around in the dark. And then this, this girl shows up and he just starts kissing her and she's like, all right, let's do this. And then, uh, he says, I saw her, and that was the second time in Berlin at the house of some friends, etc., sitting in the corner of her couch. And then he says, she had forgotten all about the actual kiss, but somehow, because of that trivial occurrence, she found herself recollecting a vague stretch of warm, pleasant friendship, which in reality had never existed between us. Thus, the whole cast of our relationship was fraudulently based upon an imaginary amity, which had nothing to do with her random goodwill. That is an interesting confession, you know, like, and it kind of mirrors that exact situation with the meeting between the two women at the train station, too, with her right. and the other woman at the train station. Right. It's like the energy of the moment kind of gives an emotional tint to the memory. So even if you don't remember the specifics of it, you have this emotion attached to it. Right. These are like very abstract things that he manages to like convey very easily. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like, I wish I could do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think and that's the other part of what I like about these this kind of writing is because there's not a lot of plot and because you're trying to capture nostalgia, but not as one beat repeatedly, it ends up that you're forced to do what he's doing here, which is, okay, I can't just tell you what happened. I have to capture the energy of why it made me feel this like years later. It's not just that my wife started using a pet name with her, <laughs> you know, yeah. at a train station. It's like the whole energy of the scene. And like you said, I don't need to remember the specifics of the circumstances to know that this was the effect that this character had on him. And that's what he's trying to tell you about. Yeah, he's not he's not trying to, re to capture the play-by-play for you he's trying to tell you what it's like to know nina yes which is a feeling it's a feeling yeah. to know nina it's not a yeah. set of events which you could argue is probably something every story could use more of right yeah that you need to capture the energy of the person versus like what happened if you want to capture the essence of what fiction can do like its strength and that's exactly it like you were saying before like this is what fiction is yeah so I guess like one of my takeaways from this would be, like I said, what I enjoyed most about it was that it felt to me like a full character sketch of another character that, you know, she's sort of larger than life for him. But he tells the story in a way where, like he says pretty early on, she dies. So we kind of know it doesn't, this is not a happily ever after story. It's not, let me tell you how I got with Nina story. So you're kind of reading it for some other reason. I just kind of read this as like a, a really good character sketch of Nina. And if you write it really well, I don't need to know that it like amounts to a plot if like we talked about, he's capturing these very subtle emotions. And your character doesn't even need to be larger than life. Although I think like when they are, they kind of beg to be examined this thoroughly. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't want to like, okay, just some random dude. And he's like, doing yeah, some, you know, something boring. It's like, I don't need a 30 page disquisition on his boredom. <laughs> no, unless there was something about that person that like really bothered you. And then it's a story about like how this, you know what I mean? Like the then narrator found hates something this boring guy. Interesting. Yeah. 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 But I, I remember, um, I think it was an assignment that we had in one of my first fiction workshops was to write a character sketch. And I didn't realize that a lot of what I had been doing up until that point, like kind of doodling on my own, you know, writing junk was exactly that. And 
I knew it wasn't full-blown stories or novels. Obviously, it wasn't like I was like coming up with a, a list of ideas, but there's something so fun about sketching out a character fully. And um, I think when done right, it can turn into a full-blown story. And if nothing else, we've talked about in our workshops, the exercise of character sketching is really good for longer pieces so that you, the writer, can fully imagine that character. A lot of times we just like plunge into a story thinking we have all the working parts, but it's not until you maybe are forced to write an individual character's backstory that they become less of a fringe character and more of like a fully realized kind of working part of your story. That doesn't mean that every fringe character in your story has to be fully blown and like have their own subplot even. But when you can imagine a character as fully as you do Nina, and maybe it takes this kind of an exercise, they just pop off the page. I mean, there's literally no other character in this story that you really care about by the end, even though there's this narrator is capturing them with similar details. Yeah, you're not you're not a fan of her husband. No. Right. And and we do know a lot about him. And yeah. I'm sure he could have his own fully blown character sketch. But that's what this felt to me like. Not not even a vignette. And it felt like a character sketch. It's like, let me tell you all the times I ran into Nina and why she's so great. And by the end, I feel like I could pick Nina out of a crowd. That, that's why I think, yeah, this feels like that's what this is. Is like he find out, finds out she's died and she's like, oh, man, what? Who was she? Let me yeah. write all my experiences and try to figure out like what was going on with her. Like, who was right. she? And who was she to me as part of right. that? Who was she to other people? Yeah. So that that's kind of informs, I think, the form of it. You know, like it's all about memories. And then it also right. informs the focus of it. Right. It's her, which like you said, there's not a plot. Plot is if, if there, the events are we met, she died. Yeah, there are events. <laughs> yeah. My takeaway is similar, except I'm it's more abstract, I guess, is I just like I said in the I think in the beginning, I love the way he ca- Nabokov captures moments, just little it, they can be small moments, they can be big moments, like the whole train station thing is like a whole paragraph, but it's a moment. The gnats with the thing is like half a sentence. And it just makes me think about how you, you know, a story is built up moments, you know, and my takeaway is that I want to spend time in each moment when I'm writing, like make sure I capture each moment appropriately make it vivid whether it's visual or emotional or whatever so that you can go to the next moment and you're just engrossed by this vivid thing right and i think if you or if i if someone were to take the care with every moment your story is trying to portray and it doesn't have to be in his like byzantine style right like this story has this um long sentence it can just be making sure you get the right word you know making sure you you capture the appropriate detail in each moment that kind of like we talked about in previous episodes it just um it's like a synecdochal detail that just suggests a larger thing finding the right details finding the right things to just express moments in a story and i think you can build up a story just by moments that's my takeaway very good we'll be reading the next uh description of gnats from jc bronstead <laughs> i don't think i will ever describe gnats because i can't get this i read that image 20 25 years ago and i cannot get it out of my head i don't know how to describe <laughs> gnats except in that way <laughs> i mean if i'm forced to maybe i could figure something out but... <laughs> yeah i think under extreme duress i have to hit myself with a hammer so i can forget that he wrote this and do something else you know it's just it's, it was so impactful as far as like thinking about how to describe things and like the kinds of I don't know. It, it just, it opened a world for me, just this description. So. <laughs> John's like, gnats have been done. Gnats are okay. done. I yeah. know gnats now. Nabokov has solved gnats. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys.
If you enjoyed this episode, consider joining our Patreon. Your support helps us keep the show running. Find out more at patreon.com slash whyisthisgoodpodcast. And for industry news, writing tips, and great short fiction, join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Naples Writers Workshop. You can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter at napleswritersworkshop.com.